0: This is episode 246 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Control and Compound Financial. They are real estate investors assisting other real estate investors to implement the infinite banking strategy. To learn more about how this can help investors like you, visit controlandcompound.com forward slash Welcome back to the show. Today, I have Saif Alsali on the show. And Saif's a very interesting guy. He is a general contractor who's been helping a lot of investors over the last several years. He worked as an engineer and decided that business wasn't for him. And he got into the world of contracting, starting with his own investments. So we spent pretty much the entire episode talking about accessory dwelling units, also known as ADUs, uh, what they're like from a profitability standpoint. Are they a viable alternative for investors to look at? And uh, I think there is something there. We've talked about that on this uh, on this show before. Um, how you can get basically one percent rule on an investment into an ADU or close to it. So um, you know it's definitely worth a discussion because you know you're not typically getting one percent rule in Ontario and anything else, at least not right now. Uh, although with these higher interest rates, maybe that's in the near future. We may see. Beyond that, Safe and I also spoke about. Uh, bylaws and the different municipalities that he works in and how it works, um, what's likely to get approved, and then some of the subtle differences when you add more units and how uh, the building code requirements may change for things like headroom. Uh, So it was an interesting discussion, something that I think you'll get something out of. Just before we jump into the episode, I want to remind you that uh, the best way to help this podcast grow is for you to share it. So if you know somebody who you think this might help, please share the show with them please make sure that you write a review and a five-star rating to help uh, get it out there to more people. I would greatly appreciate it. And for our YouTube listeners, obviously do all the things that help get it out there. Um, Again, really appreciate your help. And I also want to remind you about the GTA West REI meetup, which happens monthly. We're typically doing it towards the end of every single month. Please make sure you're in our Facebook group so that we can notify you when our next session is booked. So without further ado, let's jump into episode 246 with Safe Al-Sally. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Safe Al-Sally on the show and I asked him before we did this so I got it right. Saif, <laughs> uh, thanks for coming here. I was just telling you off camera that I don't know your story. I know you must have reached out to me and I must have liked what you said or yeah. somebody reached out to me about yes. you. Uh, but uh, yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, give me the scoop. Uh, Tell me, tell me how you came to be
1: sitting here. So uh, I started investing in real estate in 2016. Um, I started buying distressed properties and uh, they got, you know, more and more distressed each and every one I bought. And uh, at one point in time, we were doing, we were doing so much construction on them that I started focusing a lot more on the construction side. So I started doing some of the uh, renovations for these properties for clients as well. So uh, okay. we did in the last three years since moving our office to Stony Creek mm-hmm. uh, in Hamilton, we did 150 units in three years. And then I own uh, a few of them myself.
0: Okay. So you're doing like renovations of properties.
1: Yeah. That's with the, primarily the bread and butter. But um, I buy real estate personally. That's how I started. And I started okay. off as a real estate investor.
0: Okay. So that's, uh, that's really cool. I have a similar story in getting into renovating uh, for other people, building for other people when I was really just doing it for myself to start. That's... Mm-hmm. I I think that's a great organic way for things to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, So how, like, what were you doing? What kind of renovations? Like, how did that all work?
1: When we first started there today? Yeah, when you started. When we first started, it was very, very simple stuff. You know, a little bit of interior finishes, uh, floors, trim, tiny kind of work, you know? Yeah. Stuff that people would trust you with because you're just starting off and you don't have much of a portfolio. And how were you getting those jobs? uh, Because I bought the houses myself. (laughs) Oh, so so you're just doing that stuff with, yeah, okay. Exactly. So um, uh, maybe let me, I can rewind a little bit. Um, I I studied engineering. I worked as an engineer and uh, I used to work in uh, Quebec and British Columbia doing the whole fly in, fly out. I came back here. I said, you know what? I want a life that's a bit more settling where I'm in a city and not the remote location so I can still have a life. So I said, I got to come back and I got to do something here. So I came back here, saved up a bunch of money and started buying real estate. Okay. when I start buying real estate the first thing I'd buy is a you know single family home I was buying in Hamilton I still do mm-hmm. and I buy a single family home do a basement uh, basement suite exactly yeah and then after that you know buy something that's in really rough shape where it's not really livable do a gut and then you know bring it up to standard And yeah. it's those type of projects as well
0: so that's the type of project that it's been happening all the way through
1: yes so I still do that and I still do so I basically do duplexes triplexes and uh, garden suites
0: do you do any of the permitting side of that yes we do so you handle everything
1: yes uh, uh, on the con- on the construction side our company we're general contractors so we do quite a bit of work the investment mm-hmm. properties is only one side of it we do that we do uh, home renovations and uh, we also do commercial renovations this year we won our first public tender directly for the city of hamilton so we do a wide range of uh, of, of obviously of work depending on the crews that we have
0: interesting what are you doing for the city of hamilton
1: we're doing a retirement home in the dundas area like a renovation or... Yeah, it's a renovation yeah. of... Uh, there's four different wings. So mm-hmm. it's a renovation of all four cafeterias.
0: I bet they made you sign a pretty beefy contract for that one. Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> there's a big scope of work attached to those those kind of jobs and ten- tendering, bidding process and all that.
1: And the liability, one thing that's a bit new to me. The, so we had to change insurance. A big
0: bond, right? You had to do a, big a bond. big bond, yeah. yes.
1: So we've been bonded luckily for a couple of years now. But then now... But you the have tender-
0: to bond that specific job for the specific contract amount, right? Exactly. Yeah. For those who don't understand that, that's basically like whatever, if it's a $700,000 contract, then you have to get an insurance amount against that. And what does that all cover? Like the the bond would basically cover if you guys didn't finish the job, they can go pay somebody else to finish it. The bond is
1: kind of, yeah, it's 50-50. Yeah. Yeah. So 50% uh, labor and material and 50% Mm -hmm. performance. Yeah. So let's say if uh, for the sake of round numbers, if you get a million dollar job, 50% Fifty yeah. percent of it, you're liable up to five hundred thousand dollars directly yeah. through that bond. Yeah. for uh, anything related to material and labor, yeah. and then the other five hundred thousand for something related to performance. Mm-hmm. So it could be that the job is late. You know, let's say you handed the yeah. over a month late, and the residences couldn't use the facilities, and now they have damages. They can bill directly against that. And bond- yeah, it's
0: interesting. So they can just bill the bond directly. Like they have a direct claim against it because you're they're they're yes. named on the bond. But it's not like yeah.
1: an insurance, right? Insurance well you do pay like, a
0: premium for the bond, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's yeah. like insurance in that sense.
1: Correct, but it's more. Yeah. Because insurance is one of those that's it's fluffy, you know, mm-hmm. you can go out and say oh they caused this much in damages and an adjuster's going to mm-hmm. come out, you know, yeah, and, and things of that sort, but a bond is like literally like a certified check. Yeah. That's what it's equivalent to. So also. you can just claim against it yes. and get paid. Yes, it's Yeah. Like, hey, there's 100 grand here. Here's mm-hmm. the receipts, here's the evidence, give me those 100 grand. Yeah. And you'll get
0: it. So they don't do it or you didn't do it. They could spend the money on it themselves and just claim against the bond and get paid.
1: I don't know those details. Luckily, I haven't. Yeah. You haven't had to go down. (laughs) I haven't either. This is why I'm asking. Um,
0: But yeah, that's okay. So interesting because a lot of people don't know what that is. I mean, I didn't really know the first time I heard somebody say, um, you got to be bonded. I'm like, okay, well. Mm. Um, But then I actually did a larger servicing contract. And that was one of the things that was a requirement uh, on the general contractor side. And uh, yeah,
1: I'm like, okay, I learned something. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting because it's not easy to get either, you know, especially if you're just starting off. No, you got to
0: be an established contractor with a track record and everything. Yeah,
1: Track record, financial track record too, because the last Mm -hmm. thing they want is for the company to not really be worth much and there's nothing to come grab at, right? But if you've built a a solid company and you've done solid work and there's value in that brand and value in that company, then the bonding company is comfortable giving a bond against your company.
0: So you've done quite a bit since 2016, you started doing these renos, and when did you form your company? to do this
1: that was in 2016 as well okay i I was employed in 2016 i used to work as a consultant yeah uh downtown toronto i was Mm -hmm. working at at an engineering firm so Mm -hmm. i did that side by side for about three years before i quit okay it took about two years to start getting work where you could say like this is actual real work versus like miscellaneous loose ends first two years were like really miscellaneous yeah and then after that uh, it started getting a lot busier
0: yeah when you were doing the work for the other people like how how were those leads for the work coming in? Was it, because you were just doing your own stuff. So how yes. did somebody find out? They heard you talking about what you were doing, said, hey, can you help me with this?
1: So kind of. So mm-hmm. what I did, I was doing my own work. And uh, what I would do is I would take pictures. I'd post them online. And at that time, for some reason, nobody wanted to do any work in Hamilton. So I was pricing jobs all over the place. So I Oh would, yeah,
0: you would have been in high demand. Yeah. Like just go out and be a contractor two years ago and like just everybody needs you.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly, well, this is in, this is in 2016, seventeen, 18, which is like, all during the surge, is, exactly yeah, so what was happening was I was pricing jobs all over the place, uh, pricing you know Toronto, Pickering, Oakville, Burlington, Hamilton, everywhere, hmm. and the competition is is crazy the closer you get to the city, right? people have a It's track interesting,
0: record. Toronto is a weird little bubble, Toronto proper is cheaper for some things. Yeah. And I never would have thought tradespeople would be one of those things, but There's it so actually many. is. There's so many in the city because yes. it's so dense. Yes, you're right. Yeah.
1: So then I would come to Hamilton and then first thing that would happen is I show up, and knock on the door, and an immediate relief. People are like, thank God you showed up. <laughs> Nobody's showing up. Yeah, I'm like, the hell, why is no one showing up? Nobody wants to drive here. Nobody wants to deal with the old home. No one's interested. Too mm-hmm. small of a job. Okay, you just put the appropriate price that's what I started doing.
0: Yeah. Well, I've, I trademarked a term. I didn't actually trademark it. Uh, F off pricing. <laughs> yeah, You just price something at a, at a rate. If somebody's crazy enough to pay it, you know, it, you know, you'll do the job. Mm-hmm. And I, what I noticed in being in the general contracting world is, is rarely do tradespeople say no, they just price in a really like not great way it's called
1: the go away price yeah f off go away <laughs> it's go away
0: or pay me this and i'll I'll come do it yeah <laughs> that's true yeah and yeah. i did i literally just learned that through experience i'm like oh they don't really want this job but they're never going to say no mm-hmm. But that applies like across like everything you do. Like if you're ever getting prices from people and stuff. You know why? Because people get yeah. sour. When, yeah.
1: when you don't give a price, people get sour. Yeah. And be like, oh, this person never quoted me. So unprofessional. Yeah. It's like you can't. You're not allowed to refuse work. That's why a lot of people But isn't, away prices.
0: It, isn't it like better that they do that and say, hey, look, I'd have to charge you a price that's pretty substantial for me to take this job right now because of how busy we are. Like mm. I'd rather hear that from them. And say, ah, oh, yeah, don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> you know what? You're right, but that's yeah. where the business sense comes in. Yeah, not everybody has the same sort of. Business but at the
0: sense. same same token, like, what an incredible opportunity for somebody who jumped into contracting. And you could even just be transparent. And say, hey, this is the price I'd have to charge to justify taking this job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to go ahead and give you a number. And if it works for you, great. If not, totally understand. Yeah. And you know, they, they won't get mad at you hopefully because you kind of explain your position and. Mm-hmm. And they might just say yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then you you win either way.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. it's
0: true. Yeah. like I, I'm a big, big believer in make money in any market. Markets up, going up, hot and high demand, make money then. If it's going down, find a way to make money then. There's always a way.
1: There absolutely always is. Because I talk to a lot of my friends in the industry. And a lot of people I talk to, they tell me, oh, you know what? Things are slow. And I'm like, I couldn't be busier. I talked to another very close friend of mine. I called him. I'm like, are things busy for you? He's like, dude, I can't keep up i'm like but how's the residential side the homeowner so he'll say you know what the homeowner side is down but the commercial's booming so like you said you can make money in any market if you're savvy enough mm-hmm. to be able to listen to the market you can kind of shift things and it's mm-hmm. not a. Hu- sometimes it's not even a huge shift from residential to commercial depending yeah. on what you're doing but then that's the difference between you staying busy and not
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean and i think we're in for it uh for for a while yet i think we're going to see um see these prices coming down for for houses we're going to see a lot of contractors kind of not working uh we're going to start to see this this screeching uh recession i think is coming it's our our way now you know whenever they they pivot on the interest rates who knows how many months or years that'll be but uh so it will require pivoting and i mean we're we're pretty deep into this now so the pivots already happened for you right you've yeah. already sort of steered towards the commercial
1: side of things it looks like it yeah that's yeah. what we're focusing on right now yeah we still get people obviously that come and do uh, investment properties and and they're still renovating their homes we have quite a few of them on the go right now mm-hmm. but i think what i'm seeing i usually quantify what the market is based on the leads coming in not the jobs that we have because that's just what's closed yeah like. oh yeah for sure everyone could ha- could want to renovate their home but no one's pulling the trigger on it you know what I mean? That sounds like
0: it's uh, a pretty lucrative business, and I've been saying this for a while. Like, you know, we need more tradespeople now. Of course, as as the market shifts, the ones who aren't savvy are going to hurt, just like you know, in any industry. Um, so that's one element of your business seems to be working quite well. How many like how many employees do you have working for you? Uh,
1: in house, we have twenty employees. Twenty already? Office. Yeah. You don't waste any time. (laughs) There's always more that can be done. There's guys that have more. So.
0: That's great. So, what like what kind of stuff are you doing in house? Like, you you have lead generation. Are you going out and doing the sales appointments yourself, or do you have other people no. doing that?
1: So, we have a full time estimator, and then we definitely have a sales funnel. There's yeah. a few different ones. Uh, there's one on Google, and then there's another one on uh, yeah. on Instagram as well. All of them lead to our website. Like, it's just like
0: it's a sp- web web based sales funnel that'll like ask some questions. There's so a couple of
1: well, there's a couple of different yeah. ones, right? Basically, all the ads will point you in one direction, but the end result is it takes you to our quote me page and oh, then okay. that's directly linked to our, our project management software yeah so once someone hits that quote me button it pops up right in our system and then our admin will get a uh, notification and then she'll pick pick up the phone and call right away so there's an actual like nice funnel and, and all that stuff
0: you built it like a business yeah would you come into this with like just the it was it just the money that you had out of your real estate deals that was like sort of funding this to start Or was it just funded by small jobs and then getting bigger and bigger and implementing more systems?
1: That's exactly it, yeah. Yeah. It was by small jobs. Maybe the first one was a bit of a kickstart because obviously I had worked remote location jobs. You do a lot of hours. You do a lot of overtime. So I'd saved up a bit of money and then I could, you know, buy a house. So obviously that is the substantial portion of it. And then um, also that I had the renovation cost out of pocket. So Mm -hmm. at the time for me it was a lot of money, but you could buy a house with 5% down, right? So my first house was $400,000, 5% down.
0: Yeah, it was a little, a you know, little more affordable back then. It was, but Plus the interest rate probably wasn't seven percent.
1: That's correct. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely harder today, no question. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a little different today. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: There's other things like I, I see some opportunities coming. I, I was one of the guys I follow, and I'm trying to get him on the podcast. I'm not going to drop his name yet, but uh, he he's been kind of hinting at, oh, are we seeing a classic head and shoulders valuation in the market? Meaning that like the graph goes up and it kind of looks like a head with shoulders. So you have that initial drop off. And then it kind of comes back up like a shoulder and and then it starts going down again. Mm. And he was showing that that's actually what's happening in Ontario. Mm. And apparently this is something that is common in a market when you see a decline. Um, so I wonder how far we go down from there, like how much more are, are prices going to drop and how will that change people's mentality?
1: my theory and this is very very fundamental and more based on you know what i see out there in in the real world and how living arrangements are changing i think you're going to have more people per dwelling living and that's going to help level things off in a sense yeah
0: for sure i mean that's a natural like you think about the friction with all the people coming into the country and just not enough houses like the natural thing that's going to have to happen is more people living under one roof which we're already seeing with the additional dwelling units but but i'm talking like just nine, 10, 12 people living in an 800 square foot bungalow. Like we're going to have that. And, and I actually already know of a specific example of this. One of my old neighbors was saying that the house beside where we used to live, that's what's happening there now. Wow. And uh, yeah, that's not great for them. Uh, but I'm yeah, not, I do. I do I'm think not. that's part of it. That, that will be a thing. But I think for you and for a lot of investors, you know, part of the reason I brought up the head and shoulders thing is if it does keep going down, imagine the buying opportunity that's coming. Yeah, it is coming. So, I mean, no matter what, there's an opportunity. It's just, are you wired to see opportunity or are you wired with negativity? Don't be the latter. Yeah. Find find a way to still be positive, like what you're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like again, yeah. up or down, uh, the market's massive. You know, when people say, you know, well, you know, the market's come down 15%, the market's come down 20%. But I say, you know what, why does that even matter? How much do you really how much do you make a year and how big is yeah. the market like we are less than a drop most people yeah. are less than a drop in a bucket so it doesn't really matter if the bucket oh, yeah. is half full you only one drop yeah you're so just, you, you should a be,
0: tiny little piece of it all yes. and then you're doing good uh that's a great way to look at it um i mean in calling a, a spade a spade like of course it is a, a little harder with the conventional methodology these days but i mean i think for one, like think about all the people who used to wholesale aggressively going after houses. Imagine if you do that now, how many leads you're going to mm. get like you're going to get people all over the place that are just like, "Ah, uh, we have our mortgage renewal coming up, and we don't know what to do mm. and then of course, like buying isn't up we you know, inventory's up it's getting to be more of a a buyer's market. Mm. Cue the investors now. There's an opportunity, and I and this is just making lemonade out of out of lemons. Like it's obviously not a great scenario. And I think we can all agree on that. Uh, but again, you still you still have the ability. There are, there are no excuses, is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. Yeah. Again, the market always has winners and losers, so mm-hmm. you just gotta make sure that you're savvy and aware enough. Yeah. That you don't end up on getting the short end of the stick.
0: Yeah, and obviously be be kind to people like. You know, I'm not encouraging anything other than kindness. Uh, but, you know, they might be very, very glad and happy to take a, an offer that makes sense to you. So,
1: Look, I think I think yeah. that sometimes people like to uh, mm-hmm. uh, demonize maybe success and being a bit too materialistic, but it's mm-hmm. not that bad because um, someone may just want to get out of a mortgage. For so sure. You, th- They may be okay. Yeah, willing,
0: willing buyer, willing seller. No, don't force, don't do any of that funny stuff. But just, you know. Just like I described with the the contractor quote, hey, this is what I can afford to pay pay you for it. I and when I used to, you know, my brief stint and and mailing out and and sourcing off market leads, I would tell people, hey, like if you want to get market, go to a realtor. Mm-hmm. I could refer you to one mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want just easy. Here's the other option, mm-hmm. full transparency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell me a bit about in. in on the topic and the thought process of there is opportunity absolutely everywhere right now there was a year ago there will be a year from now Uh, i think there's a big opportunity in construction costs coming down people getting more savvy at creating adus and and creating them in a priced uh, a well-priced manner like prefabricated stuff could come in could you tell me a little bit about what somebody's looking for or looking at in your recent experience when it comes to an adu like How big are they going? What's necessary uh, to achieve a rent that makes sense in, say, Hamilton? Um, Like, walk me through what the concept is, how it works, and your justification for it.
1: So the ADUs vary. Every municipality has different requirements. They go from, you know, as small as 380 square feet in Brampton to about 800 square feet in Hamilton. Is
0: that like the minimum in Hamilton? Your Mm -hmm. ADU has to be at least that?
1: No, uh, 800 Eight. in Hamilton is the maximum. Maximum, okay. And 380 is the maximum in Brampton.
0: 380, okay, so you're yes. going like New York style. Yes. Yeah,
1: which would be kind
0: of cool in a way.
1: Just Depends no what you do with it. Yeah. Yes, because you, yeah. you, can, you, can, you can be pretty savage. Oh,
0: you could make that so cool. Yeah. yeah.
1: We've done pretty small units. We've done like the smallest one bed we've done is 300 square. Well, it's not a one bed, it's a bachelor, but 300 square feet with a mechanical room in it. Hi, friends, I
0: just wanted to take a moment away from the episode to tell you about my brand new structured coaching program. This is the first time I've ever offered a structured coaching program where we'll have regular meetings in addition to an intro call uh, to go through what your goals are and help you get on a plan to achieve those goals within real estate. So if you followed me for some time and you feel that I would be a fit for you to help you achieve your goals in real estate based on my skill set, based on the topics we cover on this show, I encourage you to head over to my website andrew-hynes.com forward slash coaching and fill out the questionnaire so that we can schedule a call and figure out if it's a fit for us to work together let's face it most people could benefit from a second set of eyes and ears going over their strategies different deals that they're looking at and helping to springboard ideas back and forth this is a program that's exactly for that so, if you're looking to build confidence in what you're doing in real estate investing and get very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, this might just be the program for you. Take a moment, fill out that questionnaire, and let's schedule a chat. Uh, a friend of mine who's been on this show, uh, he's doing what do they call it? sustainable housing, which I, I guess is just a way of saying, really small stuff that's that's built like with really cool features that allows you to utilize space better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a bookshelf that'll move out of the way for the entertainment unit and mm-hmm. and a bed that'll go up to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking for that kind of thing. Like you could totally make it work with that. The bed you goes could. up to the ceiling when you get up. Uh you can do storage space maybe in the attic, like a little compartment uh, above the floor. Like cuz what I've seen in the past is like the municipality will have a definition for what counts as floor area and it has to be over a certain square footage You're right. or sorry, a certain height. So as long as you're shorter than that height, you can just stuff stuff in there, and yeah. and it doesn't count. And I've I've, I've done stuff like that. Uh, you have got to find ways to weasel weasel out of those uh, rules, uh, you know, where you can.
1: Yeah, that's right. And when you work with a savvy architect, someone that's yeah. done so it, before, it, gets many it. Times, they have
0: to be investment minded. They have to know right. what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily investment-minded, but they should know uh, what you're trying to
1: accomplish. As long as they have a good understanding of why those requirements are in place, yeah. they're going to know how to massage them to your own benefit, yeah. right? If somebody's just taking and reading the lines, yeah. this room must be this many square feet, the windows need to yeah. be this percentage, and they don't understand what's in between the lines, you're going to yeah. get a lot less utility out of that person.
0: Yeah, you're saying read between the lines? And yes. I agree, because... You know, there's so many interpretations to the way a sentence reads, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll find that if like, you go into like city hall, they read it one way, and they say this is how we interpret mm-hmm. it. That it's it's worth listening to them and how they interpret something because mm-hmm. the path of least resistance is to go along with what they like. But if that's not working, and you know you want to fight, I guess you could. Um, I don't recommend that. Mm-hmm. I, I would rather st- push the, push the business downhill yeah. uh, than uphill.
1: Yeah, like yeah. if someone comes and says, you know, the building code says your your bedroom has to have a window yeah. it's got to have natural light and and all that if it's in a basement it's got to have egress yeah, yeah, yeah um and you don't have a window there and there's absolutely no way of putting it in yeah you know what if you call that room an office yeah, you're yeah exactly you're not doing anything wrong yeah but you're understanding the so, requirements
0: so in london for instance um <clears throat> a five-bedroom maximum even if you're three different units you're still a five-bedroom maximum across those three different units well i mean I'd be having a den, a library, uh, an office in all my different units. And then my lease is not by the bedroom. My lease is by the unit. So mm. I can have four people on a two bedroom. They you have two people that share rooms. That's nobody's business. Mm. I mean, what they do in there, how they use the office is their their choice. That's that was my interpretation, not legal advice, just my interpretation. Um, you know, I, I that's kind of a regret of mine because mm. I did so many like five bedrooms and like a six bedroom if I had a legal six status, but I I would have loved to just throw in a couple of offices and (laughs) kind of wish I had.
1: (laughs) Well, that's exactly the point of you understanding what the requirements are. Yeah. But um, I think back to uh, uh, the garden suites, you you were asking about the different sizes and the feasibility, what makes it feasible, what these things cost. Like is
0: is a 380 not a heck of a lot
1: more feasible? It is. But if you're building from scratch, you get more bang for your buck, the more square footage you're putting in.
0: And explain be- that to me. Like, are you getting that much more rent?
1: Probably would. That's
0: because- the real factor because how much rent per square foot am I going to get? Like, let's let's walk through logically what, what's your minimum rent. If you're building 380 that's just a bachelor? Yeah. You could probably make that a one bed, but yeah, it wouldn't be a big one. Yeah. So let's say it's a bachelor. So a brand new construction bachelor in Hamilton... Or that's yes. Brampton, you're, we're saying.
1: Well, this is a requirement in Brantford, but I can give oh, you... Oh, Brantford or Brampton? Uh, Bran- sorry, I don't know why I said that, but in uh, Brampton. Okay. Right, but I can give you sort of what the rent would be in, in, in so, Hamilton. Call it...
0: Okay, so yeah, it's called call brand it
1: new 1800.
0: 1800 would, yes. on a 380 square foot? Yeah. Okay, so what about a... What's the most you can go, 800, you said? 800 in Hamilton. So yeah. then you can get a two bed in that. Definitely. Definitely, okay maybe even a three, really small three. But let's yeah. say two. Let's say a two. Yeah. What's the most you're going to get for
1: that? I would say if it's new build, easily 2500
0: 2500 So we're going to do a rent per square foot here. So 2500 divided by uh, 800 square feet. That's $3.12 of rent per square foot. Or we do an 1800 divided by 320 square foot. That's $5.62 of rent per square foot. So one of them is earning more rent per square foot than the other. So, I mean, just like basic back of the napkin kind of feasibility. It seems like it actually makes more sense to build the smaller one because cost mm. per square foot. I agree with you. Like you're saying, if you're building 800 versus 320, your cost per square foot is going to be higher on the you're 320. It's, you're going to pay more per square foot
1: to build it, too. You build it for sure. Yeah. Everything because at that, that point, everything is minimums. Yeah. You know. Think sure. about you coming in and, and sending someone to install yeah. 300 square feet of floors. Yeah, they're not installing at dollar so fifty-two dollars. Give me
0: an idea then of build build price on the uh, the three twenty per square foot, or the three twenty square foot. Yeah, so yeah. an eight
1: hundred square foot, call yeah. it, it if it's new build. Yeah, and uh, if it's new build, call it it's going to be around in around two hundred fifty thousand.
0: Two hundred fifty thousand.
1: Okay, the three eighty might be it'll be below two hundred, but not much. Probably a hundred and eighty
0: thousand. Okay. All right, so let's just see two fifty thousand above eight hundred. So you're three hundred and twelve a square foot and then you figure on the the three twenty,
1: um it's still like a hundred and eighty.
0: You're like one hundred eighty. About by three twenty. Yeah, you're more like five sixty a square foot. So
1: because keep in yeah. mind, there's 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 lump sum costs. Well, you you have to service those servicing units. Servicing is fixed no matter. Yeah, what.
0: Yeah, services is, and you've included that in that number, yes, right? So, sure. and how are you typically serving? Right out to the road, or in tying into mm-hmm. the front yard, or into going the into the back of the house?
1: Tie into the house because then it falls under government uh, uh, government grants where they're paying for the service upgrade on the city side. If you go and tie straight into the city lines. Yeah. From the ADU, oh, you pay monstrous stuff. You end up doing everything, uh, all yeah. the, the road cuts, all the curb cuts, all that kind of stuff. You pay for stuff, all of it, yeah. And you have to get the city contractors yeah. to do them. It's basically an extra, on average, twenty twenty five thousand dollars 25000 per project. So yeah. It's not really worth it unless you can yeah. sever the land.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and I found the same. I, I looked at, I, I when the secondary dwelling units were just coming in, I did one uh, in the backyard. We built an addition, 920 square foot at the back of the house. Mm. And- uh, we just tapped into the back wall. Like, of course, we could have you know, dug down and trenched around to the front yard if there had not been a place, if I couldn't access the main stack, which I'm sure you're looking at houses and trying yeah. to figure out, hey, how are we actually going to connect services? How much damage do we have to do in the existing house? Mm-hmm. Um, so quick hacks, like, uh, you know, I, I've been on this, this topic lately. We just had an episode of REI Hot Seat where we were talking about um, shortcuts to value things to determine does it make sense to look at this. If you think about the 1% rule, if I could build that 800 square foot for $250,000 and I can get 2,500 in rent, that's 1% rule. Mm. No one's seeing that anywhere anywhere else. Mm. So as as far as any, an isolated investment decision, it seems to make sense, but are people, are banks financing those yet?
1: Not in the way you would expect it. So no, you're not getting the full, full pop. And I've I've done a few of these myself uh, personally recently, and I've gone through refinances so I can give a really good overview of the process from A to Z. Number one, the low hanging fruit is having an existing structure and retrofitting it to be an ADU because that is a hundred. So if it's attached to the main building, it doesn't have to be attached, but just existing. So you buy something oh, with an a okay. garage or a massive shed in the okay. back, something like that, because that is more like a hundred, hundred dollars conversion and you're getting, yeah similar rents maybe just a little bit less that's more than the one percent rule so now one the project's feasible you see what i mean so yep. those things are a lot yep. more uh, but
0: so as far as financing goes like i would think that like a credit union would probably
1: be more agreeable okay yes there's a yeah. couple of lenders that yeah. are better uh forget about the a lenders but this is going to be a slow process. So yeah, and in, in a few years, to, they'll they'll be on board probably. Yes. Yeah. So typically we're used to burring, right? Yeah. We go in, we do the rental, we do a refinance, and now mm-hmm. we're cruising. It's stabilized. This is going to be a two-step, you know, where you're doing a burr today because maybe you're doing it on a du- the duplex, which is the main home, but then you're doing another burr in probably about three years. Because what's happening right now, you only have like less than a handful of lenders, two, three lenders. Two that I really know of okay? they their credit unions. Uh, mostly, yes. Yeah, credit and credit MD unions
0: are, are are just in my experience, just talking to them and talking to investors on here. They're just the most flexible in their approach. Like they'll they'll they're consider it. Yeah, they they take a practical approach.
1: So, yeah. what they're gonna do, but even the credit unions aren't one hundred percent with this idea because the, all the credit unions are saying now is fine. We'll use whatever the appraised value is. That's okay but then the appraisers aren't valuing them the way they should be valued. Because if you think on it...
0: Well, you need to get a commercial appraisal.
1: Still, even on a commercial appraiser... They're not doing it on a cap rate standpoint. They're not? No, they're not. So what they're doing, no matter which way you go, commercial or residential. Yeah, I guess the
0: problem is like, will a commercial appraiser appraiser even touch a four-unit building, right? If you have three in the main building and one in the the yard, but they probably don't even have that. The way I I understand it is they're
1: still going to value it the same. Yeah. Even if it's a commercial loan, they're valuing it like a residential. So how are they doing that? They're doing comps on the home. Mm
0: -hmm. And And that'll never yield the... uh,
1: Comps on the home, whatever yeah. the home is. So yeah. you're getting value on yeah. the duplex, yeah.
0: triplex. Direct comparison.
1: And then they're doing a almost about 50 or 60 cents on the dollar on construction cost for the ADU. 50 or 60 so cents. So let's say you do 100,000 oh, 100, yeah. conversion. You're only yeah. getting a, a lift of 60,000. Okay. On So even if you're building
0: a new construction, still like, are they going to look at new it and say it's 250 and we're going to give you 60%? Uh
1: those ratios may be a little bit higher, but the point is yeah. they're looking at the construction costs, yeah. not what the real value is, which is the income.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The income is the true value. So when but, they start looking at income, yeah. these things are going to change and they're going to take off like crazy. And they're, those homes are going to be selling for a lot more.
0: I think the angle with that to get the true commercial appraisal is um, like to really get treated as commercial, even with the big banks. I think even the big banks would finance these if it was done as a package. If you had a few on a street, they were all like three or four units and you you kind of put them as a as a blanket uh, package uh, under a mortgage. I've heard of people doing this in the past with duplexes. So that's where I got the idea. Um, and then you get it all under commercial financing. So you just, if you put three duplexes together, you're now over the six unit minimum for some banks. Some banks, it's a five unit minimum to be commercial. And then now you get different treatment. And I mm-hmm. agree with you that the appraisers still have to be on board. But if you get the right appraiser who's like an AACI, they get it. I, I'm I'm confident there's somebody out there. Not saying it wouldn't be challenging, but that would do it and would play ball and it would get done. Mm-hmm. So that'll be it'll be whoever goes out and solves that problem, who will they'll be the one that gets rewarded mm-hmm. and gets some great deals. And while the rest of the market's figuring it out, that's where you're making money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in my experience, that's pretty much how it always works. Figure yeah. something out that other people haven't figured out. Do a bunch of it before they figure it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, anyways, and I'm giving a lot of random tips here today, so not to take away from what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. So uh, are you seeing much of a market for this right now or are you seeing people interested in doing that? I'm
1: seeing, I'm seeing a lot of interest, like yeah. really, really lots of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, less people are pulling the trigger on it, I think because the path is not so clear yet. Yeah. I really think that whenever there's a new concept, you know, 10% of the people yeah. or less are the ones that pull the trigger on it but given how much interest there is it, it mm. kind of is pretty relative there's not as many ADUs yeah. as there are people talking about it
0: so so talk me through what you can do in the various different cities around here so in in Hamilton you can have up to 3 units in the the existing house now or 3 uh, units in, in Hamilton
1: total? so i can i can speak to the the Hamilton specifically cuz we do a lot of work okay. there yeah. um in Hamilton you can go up to 800 square feet or 60% of the square footage of the home
0: okay so okay, if, if you have a really says, big home, you could go bigger.
1: If you have a really big home, then you can only go up to eight hundred.
0: Oh, so it's whatever is lower. Max, yes. Okay, whichever is lower. Okay, so say you had the uh, you know the classic twelve hundred square foot bungalow, uh, you can do up to how what sixty percent of that? Yes. So that's not going to be quite eight hundred. Seven twenty, just middle yeah, yeah. on Okay, not much. So so that's doable. But are you also allowed to have three units inside the house? Because in Ontario, that was one of the new legislations that you could that every property could do three. Every property
1: could do well with the new. Well, it's not new anymore. It's been a few years now. The bill that was passed, you could do up up to five units per address. Oh, really? Up to five units per, per each single address. So if you have one on the ADU, you could be doing a a four unit in the, uh, in the home. But the, the caveat is, the more the number of units, the higher the building code requirements are. So you're not mm-hmm. sticking to the same building code requirements, not the exact yeah. same build. So the sweet spot is three total units per address. Okay, in so so up,
0: down, because, down duplex, plus a, an ADU. Yes, okay. because
1: once you hit four units, mm-hmm. the headroom increases. And what happens in, you know, I would say 80% of these duplexes, the headroom isn't there in the basement. You normally have to have Was it like six ten to the joist or something like that usually or six eleven? Basement is to the joist six five. That's what so you 70, mostly see? Seventy seven inches if you're three units and under. Yeah. But then under the bulkhead is six one, so seventy three inches. Oh, okay. Once you go four units, that increases six inches on each side. you and you yeah. Normally you barely pass So your lowest equipment.
0: your lowest point in London, I remember back in the day, was six five under the bulkheads. Unless it wasn't in a main walking area. If it was along the wall, then you could be lower. Mm. Yeah. So that's interesting. So 6-1. Hamilton was a little more generous with people. Yes.
1: Yeah. But I think it's also a factor of the homes that are there. There's not yeah. Many it's way more indicative 6-1. of the type of yes. homes
0: that are there. Right. I've seen one of the things I've seen in Hamilton is you'll have an entire street where the zoning indicates that you need to have at least, I don't know, let's call it like 30 feet of frontage. Mm. And every house on that street only has 25. So mm. meaning none of them conform with zoning. Mm. You couldn't recreate it if you wanted to that I just find that weird when then it works that way because it's all legacy it's all stuff that's been there for a long mm-hmm. time um anyways tangent i go i've been on going on a lot of tangents today <laughs> um okay, so that's the sweet spot as far as you can see it so i I didn't realize this I know that I knew that we were good for up to four actually with what bill twenty three pretty much said that yeah um so you're saying you could actually do five and that i is believe that just it's up to five. i
1: I believe it's yeah. up to five uh, yeah. or sorry, it is under. Huge correction. Under five.
0: Under five. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's it's getting a little foggy. It was either up to three or up to four. So don't quote me on this. Obviously, whoever's listening, watching, go read the bylaw if you're planning to execute this strategy. Become an expert on it. Like be an expert in whatever you're doing. If you're doing this, make sure make sure you know how many you can get away with. Um okay, so you're seeing three as being the common.
1: I think three three is the sweet spot. And I think the very important takeaway is with the amount that we've done and, you know, with the discrepancy that I, that I just had here, it's very important for you to hire a designer, an architect that yeah. does this day in, day yeah, out. Yeah, they can design it to the code. they,
0: they know what zoning will allow for, they'll, yes. they'll double check all that stuff. So, I mean, it's good for you to know this stuff because mm-hmm. then you can make sure you kind of vet your designer so they mm-hmm. know, but uh but yeah, you want to hire a good, good professional.
1: You definitely want someone that does this day in, day yeah. out, because that little difference, that little tweak of those couple of inches that I was just mm-hmm. mentioning you know, on three units versus yeah. four units is the difference between underpinning and not That's yeah. like over $70,000 line item. Yeah. Just based on that one small difference. 100%. So it's like you really got to work with someone that does this day in, day out.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you notice like are the are the laws different? Because like, every municipality is going to interpret things a little bit differently. Um it's it's coming back to me that bill 23 was like three units was just as of right with zoning that, that that's my recollection of it. And um, I remember like, I'm still getting the emails from somebody who bought a duplex from me and I pulled the permit under, under my name while I still owned it. And uh, initially on the email, they're like, Oh yeah, we're not doing that. And they just said, we're not, we're not allowing the third unit. And then the designer, you know, chimes back. Well, but this is like now passed under Ontario legislature, like that you have to, they're like yeah, we're not doing. It. Really? But then, sure enough, within a few weeks, I see permit active, <laughs> so they did do
1: it. Oh wow! But what was the reason to to reject it? Um, I, quite
0: I think that. a lot of there's a lot of resistance with these cities. Like you know, um, nobody likes change, especially you know cities and and they. London's notoriously been like uh, quote unquote appropriate development. Like they only want development on you know major arter- arterial roads they don't want it in communities they never did before of course now they're kind of being their hand was forced mm. so i think it was just the mentality in london mm. uh, and it's long had a reputation of that i remember even when i was a kid hearing like you know london was i forget the exact way it was said but you know a city that didn't love change so mm. hey to- hey, totally get that who does um mm. so anyways um i had a good time in london so anyways tangent uh, <laughs> uh what else can you tell me about this? Like, what, what what people should be thinking about? Like, is this something I could do in Burlington relatively easily now as well? Like, do you know the rule in
1: Burlington? We focus on we focus on Hamilton, but okay. uh, from what I understand, uh, the the best markets to do this stuff is Hamilton. And just talking to our designer is Hamilton, Brantford, and Toronto. Three really well, you're going to,
0: you're going to get so much more money in Toronto too, right? Like for this space. And if you just got this tiny little postage stamp backyard, mm-hmm. I'm sure in Toronto, you could, you could rent a 200 square foot unit if you really wanted to. Yeah, I mean, it's going to go New York style eventually. Uh, so in just, the city, for sure, the closer yeah. you
1: get to the city, that's what it's going to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you want to be in the city, you, you know, basically have a, something smaller than a hotel room, mm-hmm. but it, it will work. But you right? have something. Yeah, exactly. And you got something, space. right? And that's the big thing. Like so many people coming into the country, they just want something. Mm-hmm. They need it. Like it's actually more of a need than than a want.
1: I really don't think that mm-hmm. it's a it's a big advantage. I think Canadians, if you if you look at it on on a more international scale, and you look at it per capita, per person living at that home, occupy a tremendous amount of square footage. Mm-hmm. We're used to. We're spoiled. You know, being used to, you know, think even 20 years back, you know, average home is 2,500, 2,800, 3,000 square feet. You got a couple and uh, uh, one kid maybe, you know, that's a lot of people for that amount of square footage. So it's not like that everywhere else. So what we're doing right now is things are becoming more efficient. So even though people may seem, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't like change. So people right now might look at it and say, oh, wow, I can't believe you're renting this. 600 square foot space for this much. I used to rent for a house for that price back in the day. Yeah, but it wasn't really efficient. So Mm -hmm. we have a shortage over here. Shortage of building and there's a ton of immigrants that are coming in. Mm -hmm. So there's a big shortage. At least you get your own space. I had a tenant the other day that that we just leased out a unit to. Um, This one is, it's a main floor unit with four beds. It was a couple that moved in. Mm -hmm. So initially I was like, why is a couple moving into four beds? They have like one newborn. Massive. House For for just two people and a small kid They go and then they end up renting two of the rooms Oh yeah To someone else So now okay great You have a nice big house But you're living with two other strangers Other people yeah So is it really a better solution Having that Mm -hmm. 2,000 square feet Or would you rather live in 600 square feet That are your own I think a lot of people could pick the 600 Not saying one is better But one is a necessary option For sure
0: yeah i mean i i've been calling this for a while like i i, I knew that was the way we were going we were going to have families live with each other so you'll have like a couple with their kids move in with their like brother and his kids or whatever and like that happened in my rental properties and mm-hmm. uh obviously don't love that um because it's harder on the property It's yes. like, just more people more traffic more damage more maintenance all that stuff um, but that is like seemingly the future of ontario so talk me through your thoughts as an investor um you kind of have an interesting angle because I guess you can build for yourself at cost. Mm-hmm. Uh So you know, while your billing rate would be two fifty on a new, a new place, and is that two fifty plus HST or including HST? Uh,
1: so the the numbers that I'm giving is what we would bill.
0: What you would bill? Yes. So, so that's what that it would that's cost you. The, oh, that's actually that's all all in. Yes, that's, that's the right. all in HST included. Number. No, plus HST. Plus HST. Yes. HST. Okay, it's good clarification because that does yes. make a difference. You're right. Um. I'm wondering if that new legislation about the uh, the GST would have an effect there because that would be rental housing. You might not actually have to pay it.
1: You know what? Yeah. Everybody's talking about that and nobody seems to have solid answers. So oh, been, I
0: know. I ran an episode about that. We we don't know anything. <laughs> so I actually, funny
1: yeah. enough, I just got off a call with my accountant yeah. two days ago. So my accountant even didn't didn't quite understand it, but he referred me to someone mm-hmm. that understood this, yeah in and out because he is retired and he yeah. used to work for the CRA and now he does this as kind of a side gig while he's retired and he was just explaining this mm-hmm. and the amount of conditions you have to meet for you to get pennies back is unbelievable i mm-hmm. substantially renovated uh my own personal uh properties mm-hmm. in the past 12 months i did eight full guts not a single one did I get any one of those credits back, or does it qualify? So you had to do the self assessment, and he sat down and he asked me all the questions that need to be asked, whether yeah. this property is going to be a good fit or if it's not going to be a good fit. Not a single one did I manage to get a dollar back.
0: So no credit, but so you paid HST the whole way through on all this, all the, the bills you did. paid, but. But did you have to do the self-assessment at the end? Like So what he
1: says, he yeah. was already looking a few steps ahead because he understands how this yeah. is done. He's done it a few times. The way I understood it is they take the new value of the property. Yeah. They give a new assessment to to the whole property. Yeah, yeah. The entire HST. On one the whole shot, thing? Yes, on the whole, but on the whole property, on the okay. new value of the property, not of the renovation. Okay, so then
0: you pay 13% on that.
1: Yes, yeah, so everything ended up being a negative, negative, yeah. negative. It didn't make any sense.
0: It, w- it wouldn't surprise me. So you you figured it out that it would be a negative, so you just didn't even bother.
1: Yes, he told me this. Okay. It's not even worth it. So I told him, yeah. look, there's these programs everyone's talking about. Someone must be taking advantage of it. Who does it work for? It's if you're if you're doing new builds. Yeah, and if you're, you're doing new builds from scratch, and you're paying the HST yeah. anyway. Like yeah, yeah. Then like you that.
0: got HST. So I, what what I was saying would make a ton of sense is if you do new build for Airbnb because then it's full it's full commercial use. So then your end customer gets billed the HST. So in theory. And I still am waiting for an accountant to reach out to me and confirm my theory, uh, in theory that you shouldn't have to do a self-assessment because you charge HST to your end customer. So in other words, all the HST you paid, all your contractors, you should get that back. And then you just bill your tenants HST when they come stay, Airbnb or VRBO, any of the short-term stuff. Again, an accountant, please confirm that to me. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for somebody to confirm this. Um Maybe I should just ask my accountant. Yeah,
1: yeah. I always get a roundabout answer
0: anytime I ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's uh, there's a lot of different opinions on this. Yeah. Uh, fair, fair enough, right? You're all everyone's interpreting. So, uh, but yeah, I, I I hear you with that whole HST issue. So let's set that aside and say it's probably not viable, which would make sense to me. Uh, I was
1: wondering if it would would help, but maybe not. Um, so you bring up a good point with yeah. the Airbnb. Just mm-hmm. something that I saw is an, is an easy match yeah the adus and Airbnb Worked are an well. absolute gold mine way better than long-term rental yeah so I have one that I've done it's an existing garage retrofit so it was yeah. a an existing garage we retrofitted it uh, did a full rental on it brought the services in cost about one hundred twenty thousand okay. okay um the long-term rent is should be around two thousand Airbnb it makes three thousand to thirty five hundred a month after paying your cleaner. That's with no without cleaning fee, but yeah. with yes. So that's after paying the cleaner, but it includes the utility, obviously. So that number is a little bit fluffy because yeah, pay the so if you, you
0: net it off the cleaner and all that, is it like twenty seven hundred versus two thousand, something like that?
1: No, it's almost a thousand. You're basically 1, making a thousand 1, more, more, even twelve hundred more,
0: net. Great, and and you can only and the uh, use of the, pro-
1: the sorry the the use of the property is yeah. also a lot more delicate. People think Airbnb people come and ruin it. Yeah, they, they absolutely don't. No, my long term units are in the worst condition.
0: No, Airbnb, Airbnb is better. It's better if they're not living there. They don't have their cats there. Like they're just in, they're out. Uh, yeah, Airbnb. I I somehow people got the wrong impression about Airbnb. Uh, I, but I think that's kind of fading now. I think most people understand that Airbnbs are actually treated better than I think because.
1: People in Airbnb, people always look at the story that's on the news. Someone came in and trashed the the place. How many
0: did they not uh, hear the story about a tenant? (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) And and also, think about it in a practical sense from an investor. That long term tenant, how many times a year do you think they're getting a professional cleaning? Never. Yeah. Less than one. Yeah. Less than one. A unit on average, five stays a month, 12 months a year. That's 60 professional cleanings.
0: Yeah. That's great. That's that's great for that, sure, and you can do that still in Hamilton if it's your primary residence, right? But you can't do it if it's not, right? Starting, starting in like January twenty twenty four. Yeah, so it's kind of raining on that parade. Yeah, yeah. So again, circling back to my my question is like, where do you see the opportunity as an investor right now?
1: Uh, I think if you're a long term investor, ADUs are fantastic.
0: Meaning, are they going to work today for cash flow? I guess they will at a one percent rule.
1: Yes, cash flow will be fantastic. So, if today. you already
0: own the property, there there's a very justifiable argument for adding an ADU.
1: I think it's a no brainer.
0: Yeah, you if you make, got the two fifty to to plus HSD. that's right.
1: With that amount of with that amount of uh, uh, rent that you're going to be getting back, even if you had to get B lender slash private construction financing, it would still make sense. Mm-hmm. And then you would do a refi pull some of it back, at least you're getting 50 cents on the dollar back, pay some of that open loan off, and then mm-hmm. you only have a small premium left on it. Okay. But then over time, what's going to be happening is you're going to be getting the real value over time because the real value in real estate, the way it's always been, is it's valued based on the dollar that it brings in. Yeah, yeah, right? for sure. So, but again, you know, cap rates produce...
0: have to adjust for the higher interest rates too. So that, so they will. it will be valued differently in the future. But I agree with you that uh, that that's the methodology that should be used. Mm-hmm. It, sh- it should be valued based on its income. Uh, and that's likely to go up over time, right? These rents aren't likely to go down if we keep immigrating at people at the pace peop- we're doing. They're, mm-hmm. they're likely to go up. So maybe the house fr- prices uh, come down, but the cost of housing does not because of the interest rates. Mm-hmm. So uh, that parasitic relationship with uh, the bank and government of Canada, all that stuff. Yeah, um, yeah so you think long-term that's, Meaning what, if, they, if they're if they riding out the storm, so to speak, calling now, what we're going through
1: the storm? Yeah, so okay. I would say if you have a three to five year plan, like if you're looking yeah. to buy something and hold on to it for three to five years, they'd use a fantastic one because mm-hmm. you're going to get some of the money back immediately, but you know, with the whole mm-hmm. refi and everything like that. But the interest rates are a little bit higher, but the cash flow's super high on those. So mm-hmm. it's going to still work today. Everything's going to, it's going to debt service today. But mm-hmm. then in three years time, you come and then you're going to get a, another massive lift on it because yeah. now you're getting what the real value is. The only thing is you're not getting that value today.
0: Yeah. So you're you're assuming that interest rates normalize mm-hmm. and uh, whatever normal is, right? Like yeah. normal could become 9%. Uh, yeah. It could. Uh, who, who knows? So, yeah. So there are some assumptions going in there, but I I, I definitely hear you. Are are you? I mean, I guess it's just tough for you because your business is here. This is investment center for you, right? So all your personal investments stay all in Hamilton.
1: Yeah, the majority. I did last year. I did uh, uh, a flip in Texas. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's
0: a slight distraction. Yeah, <laughs> it
1: was. Uh, I was a bit distracted last year. So. That's crazy. Just one. Yeah. Just one, and I wanted to do a lot more because the numbers look fantastic. Texas looks great on paper rents are super high properties it's low rental cost is super super low um i started going through it and then i started realizing what exactly the challenges are and it's not what shows up on paper so it's a funny story i finished it i'm gonna give one small example i finished this flip we're trying to sell it things take a lot longer to sell over there and the negotiations are so you know people are scrapping for pennies um so we, we go ahead we try and sell it. And then one day someone comes and there's a vacant lot next door, and there's a porta potty that gets ordered there. And a guy comes, parks his car, he starts living in his car. Nobody uh-huh. knows who owns that lot. Nobody knows how to get a hold of them. We call the sheriff. We try and get the guy out because every time there's showings, people come and see someone that's homeless living, living on the vacant door. lot next door. And I couldn't sell it. That pushed me up by like yeah. six months. So you have random problems like that. We had that termites, like things that you don't normally. It's different, do
0: with yeah. Where were we doing that, Houston?
1: It's uh, an hour and a half east of Houston. Okay. Beaumont. Beaumont. is the name okay. of it, yeah.
0: And, I mean, who did you know there? What gave you the confidence to just go in and pull a, the trigger on that?
1: A friend of mine yeah. uh, that I used to work with up north in uh, uh, in those fly and fly-out jobs, he did a lot of flips completely remotely. He was doing it in Ohio and in Texas. And I said one day, I'm like, you know what, well, let me try this. So he put me in touch with it. He was nice enough to put me in touch with his team property manager, contractor, and wholesaler. Like what more do I need? Yeah. So I did that, and initially if you look at it and and you think, okay, then these numbers look, they look fantastic there. One big lesson I learned was that it was impossible for me to get lending in Texas specifically. Like impossible. Why? Um, because they don't have a handle of your Canadian assets and no bank would, would, would touch something like that
0: at all. Well, yeah. You don't want to do a bank. Um, and uh, the the equity funds,
1: the only thing I could get was private. Like, yeah, that's what I did.
0: But the privates down there are actually pretty competitive. Their rates
1: at the time it was 13%. Really? Uh, Okay. I found it quite high.
0: Yeah, I um, really had to search. I'll tell you, like I had to, I had to talk to a lot of people like, and there's a lot of unprofessionalism in there yeah. in there because there's just so many more. It is, it's a, it's all over the place, but I hear you. Yeah. I, I took me challenges. a year. It took me a year to secure financing. There's so no- I, I totally hear you.
1: And a project like that is not a project you can put off for a year you know if you know i was funding home, stuff with cash yes. i
0: funded all my stuff i was i was into two and a quarter builds all cash mm. and all the lots purchased in cash before i found some financing mm. so it was very difficult
1: yeah so that's what ended up happening for me as well so though when you look at it yeah. on a completely cash basis it's not that attractive anymore
0: no but so. it doesn't need to be that but i agree, I agree that is a challenge mm. uh but yes uh, that's it's i think down there your lender is even more important to be a part of your team especially mm-hmm. being canadian because you just you're just going to have that much harder a time but uh, yeah so so that kind of got you out of it did you did you make money on it
1: a little bit not as much not as to I cover thought. the cost of capital it was supposed to be uh well it was supposed to be one of those where on paper it looked like 25 30% return and then yeah. 10 15 10 percent uh, i don't remember what it was I think yeah 12. and that's not like big you difference just, you're just
0: not going to do it for that like these days you can just invest passively for those rates. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's going to be more changes though. It's It's going to keep changing over the next year, two years. Um, we'll find an equilibrium between active investing and passive right now. It seems like passives more lucrative, mm-hmm. but you know, swings will happen.
1: If you get a property today or any investment today, when it stabilizes, and it, you know, there's barely just a little bit of cash flow or something and like there's that.
0: There's no appreciation and your pay down is almost nothing because of your interest rates so high.
1: That's true. But I'm saying if you get into something today yeah. and you f- you you end up fully stabilizing it. So today you're done yeah. the investment, everything's rented and there's very little cash flow and you're a long-term investor, you're in a fantastic place because mm-hmm. that's only going to go up from here and, you know, a lot, it's going to go up a lot from here because- In the long run, yes. In the long in run. In the
0: short run, it could go down, but Yes.
1: But that's fine because Mm -hmm. only really very, very savvy investors are the ones that really are going to be making money Mm -hmm. in the short term. Anyone else who doesn't do this full time, day in, day out, and and is good at it is is foolish to think that they're going to make a crazy return in the short term. Real estate, a lot of the wealth is built over long term, in my opinion. That's why I focus on anything that I buy have to hold on for at least five years. Yeah. I've yeah. never sold, well, I, I guess I sold the one in Texas, but I've never sold any of the properties that are rentals that I have, you know, uh, okay. lending on and, and things of that sort because I believe in keeping things long-term. Same. Because it ends up compounding so much more, you know. I years agree, four or three, yeah. four, five, yeah. you're just like, wow, this is, I'm not doing anything. Like the amount of work that you take when you find, the, imagine the effort, how many hours do you spend to find the property, renovate yeah, it. Yeah, oh, it's do painful. All that stuff, versus collect five years of rent
0: hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Like it's, it's not even sustainable uh, for most people to just do that. Like being in the business you're in, you can keep, you can keep doing those small ones because it's, your team can probably manage a lot of it. And mm. um, you know, that helps, but uh, that was one of my frustrations with, with them is like, I'd be spending eight months on a project. It's like, how fast can you grow when you're doing it that way? And, oh, yeah. and it's so much of your thought process and your energy to like plan them and you don't want to sell them. Yeah. yeah I, I hear you completely on that. Uh, For me, I ended up making a decision that Ontario wasn't really the place I wanted to grow, Uh, not under the landlord tenant board here, all that stuff. So I sort of set my eyes on the states, but I totally hear, hear where you're coming from with that
1: and that's that's an excellent decision mm-hmm. and especially if you have uh, a good relationship or partnership where you can get lending there mm. you're golden then definitely you, you the definitely
0: only- can in the states you can but it is hard so i'm acknowledging your point yeah. i i went through the exact same thing yeah. it just takes a long time a lot of calls it helped that my assistant was just constantly on it mm. but otherwise i probably never would have found it mm. Cause she was just constantly, I'm like, Jane, that one's not working. Find another one for me. Yeah. Send them in they, the list that they want, you know, mainly just a track record of your experience. Mm. Like they're, they're unprofessional in ways and more organized in ways. Like the way they structure their applications and they want to know your experience and stuff. Like I wasn't like what I was used to. I was used to like call somebody up. They come out, they look at it. Yeah, I'll do this. Mm. <laughs> Send me a rough budget. Okay. Yeah, mm. sure. Let's do it.
1: Not like so you're that talking for construction financing, yeah. Construction okay.
0: financing, I did, I, I got construction financing down there.
1: Wow, yep. Well, I'm curious, what kind, of, what kind of terms is it? What do they lend? 80%? Or 70%? They
0: a 75% loan to cost. I'm bad, yeah. And it was $12.99 at the time, and the fees were annoying like 3%. And then there's a state tax too on money advanced, which is really weird. It's like a 1% state tax on money advanced, but you only okay. pay that if you advance it. So the cool thing there is they, they call it not going Dutch. So they didn't, they don't bill me interest on money that's approved, but not advanced. So it's sort of Mm -hmm. like a line of credit in that, in that regard. Although I can't just keep drawing and repaying. So I only pay the interest on it as I draw the money. I never actually ended up drawing all the money on that. That last one I did, uh, because I sold some other properties had cash become available. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to pay that state tax. I'll Mm -hmm. just, I'll fund the rest with cash. So, uh, but you know, it was an important win. I've got a relationship with that company now, so when I'm ready to do another one, I can just call them up and uh, go through all that process again. But at least we know who we're dealing with. We know sort of what to expect, and uh, it's a known quantity.
1: So, so how did you get that? Um, how did you get that first lender to back you in the U.S. You got partners. Um,
0: we found a broker out okay. of Hawaii, and it was actually one of my oh. coaching students that found him because he also was uh, planning to build down in, in Cape Coral. Uh, and we had talked to so many people and I'm like, man, I don't think this is going to work. I've talked to a lot of people and they all. So I'm like, I get on the phone and I'm like, first off, let's establish a few things right off the bat so we don't waste anyone's time. Mm-hmm. No social security number. I'm what you guys call a foreign national, or at least that's how you're going to classify me. Uh, No credit to show. Uh, absolutely no track record to show in the U.S. So let's start with those things. Are you gonna help me or no? <laughs> mm. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can help. I'm like, yeah, I want to take a step back here. Everyone tells me they can help because they want they want to make the money. They you know everybody just wants to be yes men. Mm. I'm like, I'm serious about this. Like I've talked to a lot of people. We went through the same thing over and over again. Are you serious? You can actually help. They're like, yes, we do have people who will do this. Like we'll work with you. And it took probably three, four months from that conversation. But we got we got a deal closed Good for you. <laughs> yeah, it was a long process. So they still wanted to know my experience, but they're like, well, you have no experience. So everything we're doing is is based on you having no experience. But still, send us a spreadsheet of all your experience. Wow. <laughs> well, I thought I had no experience. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a general contractor back in Canada. Yeah, that doesn't matter down here. Mm. <laughs> you're not a general contractor down here. Um, and, uh, you know, you, if you're OK being talked down to and, and going through all that, like, You'll find a way. Mm. It was it was an annoying, but I did eventually figure it out. So I was grateful for that. Nice. So hey, just proves if you stick to it, if you if you're not, if you're not willing to accept no, you will find a yes.
1: I agree. Persistence.
0: Persistence is huge, yeah. man. Um all right. So I really enjoyed uh speaking with you today. It was great. We dug dug into all this technical stuff with building. Um you have anything you wanted to share that we haven't talked about.
1: Uh about more, more or less, about the uh, investment space in general, or stuff we're doing that we think is exciting. And,
0: yeah, like any any final thoughts, things that you wanted to share about yourself, things you're doing.
1: Yeah, uh, one of the most uh, most interesting things we're doing, right, or exciting things for us, at least, and my team that we're doing is uh, we're shooting a, a pilot episode, uh, which we're in talks, hopefully, getting on HGTV for. Uh, about ADUs. So it's garage conversions. We're calling it Tiny Homes Garage oh, Edition. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, it's
0: all coming back to me now. This is, what, this is what you led with, I think, when your PR uh, person yes, yes. reached out to exactly. me. I'm like, okay, it was the garage thing. Yeah, yeah. okay, that
1: makes sense. So I yeah. think that's one of the most exciting things we're doing. We, yeah. It's looking pretty good. We got an agreement from a production company, and then um, we're waiting to see how that goes. And then after that, we're going to be uh, talking to the networks directly, uh, probably in the next week or so.
0: One. cool well if you uh you need somebody to be an extra on set you just let me know <laughs> love i'd love a little cameo on one of your episodes very cool okay well uh, where do people find you and reach you
1: uh you can go to new com or you just go to our instagram page new4inc we're super active on there so new the number four uh no new4 is n-e-w-f-o-r-e.com okay. f-o-r-e new4 yeah. okay New4.com.
0: right. Awesome. We'll, we'll make sure we have that information in the show notes. Awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming over.
1: Thank you for having me, Andrew.
0: Hey, friends, I'm sure you've been noticing that cash flow is getting a bit tougher with these higher interest rates. This is why I've noticed a lot of investors shifting over to a more passive approach and also to optimize their overall returns. Tune into my passive real estate investing webinar that I'm hosting on November 8th, 2023 at 7 p.m. where I'll have special guests, Carmen Campanero and Nick Wright talking about what private equity is, how you can invest in it, what private REITs are, and how you can even have your TFSAs and RSPs invested in real estate where it would otherwise not be possible. Space is limited to this webinar, so please take a moment now and register your attendance at wwwandrew forward slash webinar or go ahead and use the link in the show notes of this episode. I'll look forward to seeing you there. Infinite banking in under 60 seconds. We've all got to save our money somewhere, and we think that a high cash value life insurance policy is the perfect place to save it. Why? We're gonna save our money inside this policy, and it's gonna grow tax-free. Down the road, we're gonna get hit with an emergency or an opportunity, maybe a chance to buy a business, real estate property, an income-producing asset, and instead of withdrawing from our savings account, we're gonna leverage that asset. We're gonna borrow the insurance company's money and we're gonna invest in that opportunity. Our money is still inside of that policy, compounding uninterrupted tax free, and our money's outside in this investment opportunity. We're gonna rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, all while providing a death benefit for our families. Down the road, we're gonna retire. Now we retire with a high cash value life insurance policy with a lot of cash. We're going to start taking those policy loans again, but this time we're never going to pay them back. When I say never, I mean we're going to pay them back with the death benefit when we die, and our families are going to get left with the rest completely tax-free.